If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, I'm Randy Andrews, and today I've got Bill Schmidt with me as we talk about one of Jack Kirby's creations, Fantastic Four from 2005. We'll talk the background, the cast, the technical aspects, the thoughts on Jack Kirby's project, and more regarding the comic. And of course, we'll talk about the amazing score by John Ottman, all today on Soundtrack Alley. I'm Randy Andrews. I've got Bill Schmidt with me. Bill, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm, I'm doing great, Randy. How are you? I'm doing very well. So let's talk about Fantastic Four, shall we? Yes, definitely. So what are your initial thoughts on Fantastic Four from 2005? Okay, um, when, when the movie came out, I... I loved it. I saw it in the theater, and I was excited seeing the Fantastic Four on screen. I, I have to admit that that watching it, you know, this week that that I don't, I wasn't as excited now as as I was in two thousand five, because I, I think we've gotten a you know a lot of better Marvel movies coming along the way, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that it's aged as well as, as some other movies from from the beginning 2000s have. But, I mean, it was definitely fun to revisit and, yeah, see, see the cast again and go from there. Well, it's interesting uh, with one of the actors uh, being Jessica Alba. Initially, she was going to come back after 10 years of the sequel of Rise of the Silver Surfer, she was going to come back and reprise her role as Sue Storm. And um, because of scheduling conflicts, because of being involved in other projects, uh, she couldn't do it. And so they had to recast everyone, and it became a whole kerfuffle of, of new ideas and new characters and it seemed like, you know, that in initial mode of new movie of the Fantastic Four just tanked at the box office because it just wasn't very good. But 
there's still a cult following to the 2005 uh, version of the Fantastic Four because it seems like it's more true to the original comic idea. Yeah, I, I would agree. I've I've seen both um, the 2005 Fantastic Four and the sequel uh, with the Silver Surfer. I saw those in the theaters, but I have to admit, I didn't see the the rebooted Fantastic Four. So I... You You're know, not heard, missing much. <laughs> yeah, I heard bad things, but I, you know, didn't really, um, you know, dip my toes in the water to, to see how that was. Well, one thing that I really like is um, Michael Chiklis for the Fantastic Four being uh, the thing. Uh, I thought it was interesting for most of the shoot, he was uncomfortable in the thing suit and the final street battle. Uh, it was filmed in Vancouver in December. And so <laughs> he was the only one that was super comfortable in the suit uh, compared to everyone else who had to wear these skin tight blue uniforms. And so I found that really unique and that as part of his costume, he had to wear prosthetic teeth to prepare himself to speak with the prosthesis. Chiklis wore them while reading to his children. I thought oh. that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he was the only one of the four main actors that was already familiar with the comic, which is really kind of unusual to me because I would think that they would want to do their research uh, to get into their roles or to understand the characters. And um, he had been a devout fan of the, of the comic and of the thing since childhood. And so he actually fought to be able to be cast as the real thing rather than a computer-generated character. And so uh, Stan Lee even had said that Michael Chiklis's performance was the best in a Marvel film ever. So I thought that was really cool. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, I, I, I do remember that, that Michael Chiklis was, was a big fan of Fantastic Four and The Thing. And I, I think he really does bring that to the role that, that he's, you know, excited to be there and wants to bring the thing to, to the screen. So I, I think that comes through in his performance. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when you look at the character of Ben Grimm being the thing, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the most flawed characters out of the whole family unit. Um, because he can't really touch anybody because he's got rock hands. Uh, yeah. He can't really kiss anybody. He's got rock lips. He's, he's one of those characters that has to kind of deal with uh, his flaws in his own way. And, uh, but then he meets someone that is blind and loves him for who he is. So I thought, I thought that was a really unique, um, unique dynamic for Michael Chiklis uh, being yeah. the thing. Yeah, and I, I think they they drove it home a little bit that I, I don't know that it always is in the comics that, you know, you see him trying to grab silverware or trying to pick up the um, the engagement ring after his, his fiancé is, is kind of dumping him 
that he has trouble just even grabbing small things with his hands. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then later on, like when he's, when he's eating, he bites through the fork. So, you know, there's some things that, you know, I had no pun intended, but um, that he, he does in the movie that you don't necessarily realize in the comics that he just has trouble even functioning as, as a person that you don't always see like him, him just trying to pick things up is is tough for him. Yeah. And I mean, that, that makes the whole idea that, you know, his character is, he's struggling. He has this problem with, you know, as you said, like picking up things and, uh, but he's one of the best lovable characters in that movie uh, because you really care about him. You really care what happens to him or, you know, even when he gets changed back and he looks and sees the distress, you see the the distress on his face of what have I done? And, uh, and he goes back in and, becomes the thing again and uh, it's just you know a really unique situation so but I I like I like him as the character one other thing I liked is the different uh, characters that we get that you know with Jessica Alba um, during filming she had a kidney infection uh, and nearly fainted uh, when she was with uh, Julian McMahon in the space station scene. And uh, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't look up any any uh, information on it. And then there was a um, peer conversation between Reed and Sue. And not only were the actors not together, which is kind of common, apparently, but they weren't even in the same country. Um, Jessica oh. Alba was filming in New York City, while Ian Gruffat was filming in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And so it's like they weren't even in the same scene together. They were, she was filming her part, he was filming his part, and somehow they were able to bring it together. And it's like, wow, that actually was really interesting. Yeah. So I hadn't known that before either. And then, um, like I was talking about before that Jessica Alba uh, would have been doing the rebooted version, but even Chris Evans, who played the Human Torch, he had moved on to being Captain America. And so he certainly couldn't come back. And so um, even Chris Evans, he improvised most of his dialogue, which doesn't really surprise me because... Uh, he seems like that type of actor that can yeah. do that. So, uh, did you did you like um, what character in the movie do you specifically like? Say besides Michael Chiklis. Well, well, definitely Chris Evans. So, my my favorite, and you know, even even if you know, besides Chris Evans as Captain America, I, I think. I think he does well as the Human Torch. That you know, I've I, I enjoyed him back then. That I, I thought he brought a dynamic to, to Johnny Storm. That you know, he's definitely a daredevil. He definitely wants to um, 
he does things extreme and want, you know, is, is fairly reckless. And, you know, I, I thought they, they definitely portrayed that well through the movie. And so, so part of that too, I think the, the Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis, their interactions too throughout the movie, um, you know, definitely Johnny Storm pranking Ben Grimm at different times, their, their interactions, that, that was some of my favorites too. So. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I would definitely agree because there's so much that we see uh, in their banter and in their playing around that uh, Chris Evans is constantly as the human torch. He's constantly torturing the thing and it's just fun to watch. And um, I mean, I, I just like that dynamic. And then it was interesting in my notes. Uh, Paul Walker was even considered for Johnny Storm, which I think would have worked. I think it would have actually worked pretty good. Um, it wouldn't have put uh, such a odd um, <laughs> like cross connection of Chris Evans being Johnny Storm and then also being Captain America. So I thought that would have been, you know, actually pretty good. And then I found it interesting that Ian Gruffitt, he had a hard time keeping an American accent continuously. And he would receive new script pages and it would force him to learn lines at a short notice. And if you watch the movie carefully, you can note certain scenes where he he drops that American accent and goes right back to his British one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I like his character and um, even there's, there's a scene where his idea that Reed on a good day should be writing formulas and uh, Ian Griffith had remembered that from his algebra class in school that he was concentrating on another actor and it would seem like it would be just gibberish to someone else. But okay. to him, it would make sense. So, uh, well, uh, one of the Jack Kirby things that I really liked about uh, the movie were that um, there were several visual cues that were represented uh, in regard to Kirby's work regarding Fantastic Four. Um, for one, the cosmic storm depicted as bullet-shaped rays. Uh, ben possesses the lumpy, craggy face from his early appearance, uh, rather than his more familiar beetle brow. And then uh, Johnny races against a missile, uh, like he does in the opening act of the comic. And uh, Ben smashes into an oncoming truck, in an angle identical to the one given in a panel where he exits a manhole directly in the path of an oncoming car. And then Johnny's flame form is a smoldering pillar of fire like it was in the earlier comics rather than the more familiar burning man look. And I thought that was a really interesting way of bringing out uh, those similarities between the comic 
as well as uh, the movie. Did you pick up on anything that uh, was similar with the comic that you found in in the movie? Uh, I I would say that you you named pretty much everything. I I don't know that I picked up on on anything else beyond that. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm looking at a I have a copy of the uh, Fantastic Four Marvel Masterworks. So the it's the first ten issues of the Fantastic Four. So I I definitely see what you're saying, and you know, but I I have to admit. I don't know that any movie would capture Jack Kirby on the screen, you know, quite, quite like looking at his pages. Oh yeah. You know, that, yeah. that I, 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 I think Jack Kirby has a dynamism that, that just, I don't know what could really tap it that, you know, but maybe now we're getting into it with, with enough computer animation, but you know, he's, he's just, something on his own that, that I don't know what, what movies could really say, you know, that you could say, yeah, that was Jack Kirby on the screen. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think he's, he's something that's going to be really untouchable for, for quite a while in movies. Yeah. And I think there's a big reason for that. Cause I mean, one, the technology is probably not there and two, it's, it's hard to make a character look, like an original Kirby idea. Um, I mean, from my interview with Phil Hester, uh, Jack Kirby changed Galactus like three or four times. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be hard to recapture that whole idea. Uh, but there are some really unique and fun things that they did with the Fantastic Four. Like Chris Columbus had pushed for the film to have a heavily comedic tone, which really made it uh, a fun movie because um, you want it to be a fun, you know, family oriented film. And uh, you see these comedic backgrounds to the characters and you have all this comedy going on. But the thing that I found was lacking was more story, uh, in the first one anyway. The second yeah. one had more of a story because you get the Silver Surfer, you get his background, you get the characters and their uh, their stories are even more developed, which I found really unique, so. Yeah, I, I would say the first one, after viewing it, I, would, I was thinking of it kind of like the TV movie version of, of the Fantastic Four. Oh yeah. So, so I, you know, I recognize the characters, but it just it just didn't seem to have the depth that, you know, that 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 we were expecting from from a Fantastic Four adaptation, is is what I I would say. Oh yeah, I I would definitely agree. What did you think of Jillian McMahon's uh, take on the on Doctor Doom? Um. He he was good at at being aloof, and you know he, he definitely had the attitude of Doctor Doom. Um, I, I guess some of it, it it seemed like you know was was his power basically magnetism in in the movie, or I mean, 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that I was kind of like, I, I was kind of, you know, wasn't sure what, what exactly they changed with his powers, but I was kind of like, okay, that, that in itself didn't seem like Dr. Doom, but, you know, definitely the attitude and um, that he was focused on having a scar that, you know, like his otherwise handsome face. So I, I think that came across well in, you know, but, but also, you know, I wasn't sure that, you know, then him trying to woo Sue Storm, I, I don't know, that, that seemed awkward, that, that they were working together and then, um, you know, then, then he's trying to, to propose to Sue. You know, I, that seemed like, like kind of a funny left turn for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would agree so. because in an initial movie, I mean, you, you kind of want some, you know, uh, conflict, but that wasn't really the conflict that I thought that should have been in it. Um, right. It needed to be more of a conflict between Dr. Doom and Reed Richards. And yeah. uh, honestly, Dr. Doom, Victor Von Doom needed to have more of an intellect and he needed to show it. Yeah. I mean, sure, it showed, you know, a montage sequence of, of how they were working together, but you didn't really see like this intellect of his, like, he was really honestly smarter than what he made himself appear to be. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that I was really convinced that, that either of them were, were that smart that, I mean, with, with the accident on the, the space station, it, it seemed to say to me that, that Reed was, was messing up. And, you know, so I wasn't completely convinced of, of his of his intellect through through the movie either so. yeah yeah no it, it all makes sense uh i thought it was interesting um you know how stan lee has made an appearance in like a ton of marvel movies and in this one uh the appearance that he makes this is the first time that he actually plays a character from the comics that uh -huh. his name is uh, Willie Lumpkin, and yeah. he's the uh, kindly old mailman. And right. his line was supposed to be, welcome home, Dr. Richards, but he changed it. Welcome back to the Baxter building, Dr. Richards. So I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. Um, let's see. So let's get into some of the, the things on Jack Kirby. Uh, now, did you know that... Jack Kirby was actually the the one to actually come up with uh, the Fantastic Four rather than Stanley. Okay, yeah, I mean, I've I've heard different stories through the years, so so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I I hadn't thought of him as the the complete originator. So yeah, yeah. What, what what story or what? Well, the story that that was found in an interview that was with Jack Kirby. Um, I thought it was really interesting because uh, Kirby, Jack Kirby had come up with the, I, the whole idea um, how the Fantastic Four would begin. 
the atomic explosion, the effects, uh, how Ben Grimm had been a college man, and then he became the thing, Sue uh, becoming invisible, um, Reed Richards being flexible, and, uh, and then even Johnny Storm. And uh, when Kirby had uh, suggested these things to Stan Lee, Stan Lee didn't even know what a, like a mutation was. And so he thought they were, you know, just imitations or just, you know, different things that they could do or some different power. And um, Jack Kirby had said that um, they were both studying all, all kinds of stuff all the time. And Jack Kirby didn't study or didn't read much science fiction. And Stan Lee didn't think the way that he did. And so if Jack Kirby drew a war story, it would be two guys caught in a war. And the Fantastic Four, to him, were people who were in a jam. And suddenly you find yourself invisible. Suddenly you find yourself flexible. And he said that it came about very simply. And I thought it was really interesting because he said, go into Martin, tell him to stop moving the furniture out, and I'll see the, that the books make money. And so uh, Jack Kirby went ahead and started writing, started getting these uh, in-depth stories going. Um, he even had come up with Thor at the same time, and it just developed from there. And I thought that was uh, a really uh, interesting dynamic for both Jack Kirby as well as uh, Stan Lee. Um, do you have any uh, stories of the Fantastic Four that you find stand out to you? Well, I, yeah, I, maybe I'm not clear on it, but I, I always thought that the, yeah, now, now I may be fuzzy, but um, I always was thinking that it was Stan Lee reacting to the Justice League, um, or, or is it, is it vice versa? But, um, but yeah, that, that I was, um, yeah, I think I was listening to, um, the Marvel Age podcast and, um, that, that Jerry, I think was talking about how, how Joan Lee was encouraging Stan that, you know, this, this is your chance to, to make the comic book you want. You know, if, if it's if it's an all or nothing, do the comic book you want and, and put in the, the things you want. So, you know, encouraging him to, to put in, uh, I guess I'm assuming, but to, to put in the dynamics between the, the characters and to, um, I don't know, maybe maybe action or something. But but I think somewhere in there that Stan. Um, uh, I'm, I'm guessing changed some of, of what they were publishing with the Fantastic Four in, in order to, you know, make it be, okay, this is a, a comic book that I'd want to read. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's the main thing about the creation of the comic that, that I think of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But what do you think about, say, just a Fantastic Four story that means something to you uh what story stands out in your mind when you've read fantastic four what 
do you think of? Well, I mean, um, probably specific stories. You know, I, I would say the the Galactus saga. Um, you know, has to be has to be one of the big ones that. Um, just the whole dynamic of, you know, Galactus coming to Earth and going to devour our planet. And, you know, then the Fantastic Four trying to change his mind and, and move him away. And, you know, and it's, it's also funny how with Marvel Comics that at the end of the Galactus saga in, within the same issue, then it turns to Johnny Storm going to college and um, meeting Wyatt Wingfoot. So it's, you kind of run, run the whole spectrum of, of stories. But I don't know, when, when I think of the Fantastic Four, I think of a, a couple things that, that it's interesting how each of the characters has, they're kind of a metaphor for 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 how we can be in life, how how Johnny is is a hothead, you know Ben Ben Grimm is kind of a, a solemn character, and he's he feels kind of trapped in in who he is. How how Sue Storm can feels invisible in life, and you know Mister Fantastic is kind of reaching for for scientific or or the next thing and you know you have that you have the dynamic of them as a family interacting and you know sometimes squabbling but in the end they come together and support each other but I also like that you know from the beginning that they're you know, Reed is leading them as a scientist, and they're also explorers in, you know, looking into toward different dimensions or, or different, you know, t t trying to find new things and, and coming up with new scientific concepts or going into space or whichever. So I like, I like those different directions that you can go with the Fantastic Four, that it's not just, here's a generic super team, that, that you have a, a couple different areas you can play with, you know, f focusing on, on a different aspect of the team. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I would agree with that, because I really found, you know, I, I was researching with the different people that have actually written uh, the Fantastic Four, and the list is pretty big um i mean you've got of course jack kirby and stan lee uh then you have um walter simonson you have john byrne you have mark wade you have Re roberto aguirre uh you've got james robinson you got matt fraction and mike allred and then you've got jonathan hickman and a lot of those writers had long runs like Jonathan Hickman had a really long run with yeah. the Fantastic Four and uh, I could think of John Byrne's um, run and Mark Wade's run and they each had a unique take 
on the characters. And then right. even with Matt Fraction and Mike Allred, it wasn't even the regular Fantastic Four team. It was these four different characters that took up the name of Fantastic Four because the Fantastic Four had disappeared. Right. And they had been lost in space or lost in time or something. And of course they came back, but it's a, it just was a really unique uh, way of looking at some of these characters and their stories behind it. Yeah. And then um, I think also with Jonathan Hickman, he had the future foundation where I think it was, you know, focusing on some on scientific research, but, but also um, they're playing up um, having their children and, you know, kind of a, a whole supporting cast that of, of the next generation that the Fantastic Four is building up. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of, a lot of dynamics and, and definitely I, I think he played up the, um, the Mr. Fantastic versus Dr. Doom, um, you know, fight, struggle was, was definitely a big part of, of his run. Oh yeah, I would definitely agree. And then I found it really interesting how even through the, the most recent storytelling of Marvel and like the Avengers run and how uh, times changed. And then there was the, um, the story arc where it was talking about time runs out or something. It was, it was before, it was before secret wars, I think. I mean, the new one It was before the secret wars came about and it was uh, called time runs out. And there was like, two trades that were encompassing that whole storyline. And you have Sue Storm working with S.H.I.E.L.D. You've got Reed Richards uh, dealing, I mean, he's part of the Illuminati. Uh, Ben Grimm, he's with some other team. I think he was with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And then Johnny Storm, he was in love with Medusa of the Inhumans. So, uh, you know, they're, they're all four, like, separated and in a different dynamic i mean they're they're no longer at that point it's like their family unit got shattered yeah and uh and hopefully we see them it would be really nice to see the fantastic four come back yeah. uh, to become that hero team that uh maybe that has been missing from Marvel for a while. And maybe with uh, the new Marvel Generations run, uh, we'll get some of those stories. Yeah, that that would be nice. Um, I I think I've seen one cover of a uh, Marvel 2-in-1 with the thing and the human torch on that cover. But yeah, I I think one thing that's, that's definitely missing from Marvel right now is is the flagship title of the Fantastic Four, you know, that, that it would be nice to, to bring them back. Yeah. And have some really unique, say time travel stories or dimensional stories or something to where they're solving some weird catastrophic event on earth and they have to pull themselves together and (laughs) figure it out. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know if you mentioned, um, did, didn't, you know, Carl Kiesel 
I, I think he wrote the Fantastic Four um, period as well. Oh, I and, don't think I mentioned that. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah that, um, that that there's a um, I know I'm I'm just blanking on on the on another series, but um, that he's a big fan of the the Challengers of the Unknown and and the Fantastic Four, and he did a um, an image series as well. I um, I probably need to pull that up, but um, the I I, I love that whole. Um, that dynamic of the the group of explorers that you know they're you know whether they're they're burrowing into the center of the earth and you know meeting the mole man or um, you know just you know going out in, into space or whatever that that that's that's a different dynamic of a superhero story than you know, just, just fighting the generic supervillain that, you know, it brings a, a new dimension of, of conflict by, you know, oh, oh, we're exploring this new place and, you know, finding this new thing. And, you know, it, you know, I, I, I um, okay, it's section zero that um, Carl Kiesel had, had done. And, okay. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. That that, that was a, a title he did with Tom Grummet, um, and and it, it has some of that the Fantastic Four vibe to it. That it's um, super powered characters doing exploring, and um, it's it just makes it fun. I think to and, and that's that's a vibe that that the Fantastic Four. I, I think when they're at their peak, they're they're out there doing fun things that, that I don't, I don't know that they should really be an, an angsty um, group that, you know, yeah, they, they may, they may fight, but they come back together mm-hmm. and they're a family. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, like I think an artist that would work really well for having a fantastic four title would be the one that did, um, uh, She-Hulk um, when it was that 12-issue run by Charles Sewell. Okay. Uh, I think that artwork, I can't think of the artist's name, uh, but I think that artwork would work really well with the original Fantastic Four or the the person that's doing the art for uh, Silver Surfer right now. That would work too. <laughs> Um, do you, you mean Mike Allred on Silver yes. Surfer? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So you know, he would he would be you know really perfect for it. I mean, he's done it before, but you know, with a different team. But I think the original Fantastic Four uh, would be fun to have in that art style. Yeah, definitely. I um, yeah, I I think of somewhat John Byrne or or maybe an Alan Davis as having that that kind of art style that yeah uh, Alan Davis did a, a few issues I think when did Chris Claremont write write a few 
in one of the reboots. I'm um, not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I think those are art styles that definitely go with with Fantastic Four. You know, just uh, yeah. I, I I don't know what how best to describe it, but kind of a yeah, bring, bringing fun to to the book. Yeah, is is what I think of. Exactly, because that's what the Fantastic Four is all about, having that fun uh, yeah. put into the movie. And uh, even with the movie itself and how uh, there are so many unique special effects. And um, I mean, they were experimenting a lot of the time because 2005 was even before they brought out the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, they were doing experiments with it that they hadn't ever done before. And it, it made for a fun movie because you get to see things that you wouldn't have seen before. It's like, Oh wow. We didn't even see this ever. So, I mean, it's the, you know, the first fantastic four movie we're getting. And uh, it's just really exciting to see that. But let's, uh, I mean, we're here for being a soundtrack podcast and there's so much we could talk about. Uh, with the comic, with uh, Jack Kirby and the art that he did. Uh, But um, the composer of John Ottman uh, doing the score to the Fantastic Four, he's not really a stranger to the superhero genre. I mean, he's done X-Men 2. He's pretty much become the uh, go facto for um, any X-Men movie now. Uh, because when you see any X-Men film, you know that John Ottman is attached to that score, which is really nice to see, because then you have a composer that's done every single film for the X-Men. And, like, he started doing that with First Class. Okay. And it just kept right on going and building and building and building. And then, you know, having the original like X-Men 2 and he brought back that theme and uh, you know, just, I I really find that a really good dynamic when um, a, maybe a film director or a company can even stick with one composer for a franchise. That would be really nice, you know, because um, when we look at the Marvel cinematic universe, there's rarely any of the Marvel movies that have the same composer between the, the actual like three movies that are in the set or something like Iron Man one, two, and three all had different composers. Oh, wow. Uh, You look at Captain America, all three had, I mean, they were different composers. Well, actually I think Henry Jackman did, uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War for Captain America. So, um, but, you know, you you look at uh, the themes that he created um, and he he knows how to bring like atmosphere to a film, like the usual suspects. And um, well, he maintains these uh, rousing choirs and uh, he has these cymbal swells uh, swirling strings, uh, it really brings out like this infusing of uh, flourishes of Americana with like timpanis and uh, 
steely brass and it just kind of builds up these thematic uh chords and um even john ottman himself had said it was one of those spontaneous doodles on the keyboard that actually ended up being worthwhile and he had known that fantastic four was down the pipeline but he wasn't completely focusing on the film uh he was focusing on uh, Hide and Seek. Apparently that was a movie he was working on. Um, but it was late one night. He had uh, decided to pull pretty much an all-nighter. And uh, it was in the middle of writing a dreary cue. And to break out of it, um, he just pulled out um, a French horn patch on his computer and threw his hands down to play a simple chord of progressions and he got excited and then questioned whether it was just him responding to a change of the pace or that it was actually something and then he realized it was something that he was creating and so it was able he was able to break out of like maybe a, a slump that he was in by creating the music for the fantastic four and um one of the other uh, points that I found, and this was through a whole long interview that um, John Ottman had done, and I just pulled like little bits of this just to bring out some ideas of, you know, what he felt the score was like. And there's been a lot of back and forth saying, oh, this is the simple, you know, easygoing score, and it doesn't give us anything. And I beg to differ. I think he did an, an excellent job with it and organizing his thoughts and creating this whole theme that was short and simple, but it was perfect. And then that centerpiece was a trumpet that uh, culminated in like three triplets and increased the sound. And, you know, it just gets you excited for part of that uh, even main theme. What do you think about it? Um, I'll, yeah, let me start off by saying that I'm, I'm not going to be that great at, at describing music. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know about, I about different guests. My, I only did it with my, uh, with my notes. I mean, <laughs> sure. the only way I was really describing it because it's, it's like I'm not real good at describing it, but when I start reading it or start thinking about it it's like yeah that really is how it is so yeah yeah i mean i i think it's a great score um i i definitely enjoyed it and you know it, it certainly um it accentuated the movie and i i don't think there was ever a point where you know that, that i thought it detracted or anything like that that you know, I, I think it, it definitely, um, you know, it ex accelerates the, you know, the excitement and in action scenes and, mm -hmm. you know, underscores um, all of the character tones. So I, I, I definitely enjoyed it as, as, a, as a score. Oh, yeah. And like he had mentioned, John Ottman had said that the Fantastic Four was an assignment he enjoyed immensely. That it was a full orchestra and that 
having this world of superheroes was a fantastic uh, musical place to be in. And I thought that was really unique for him because this was in 2005 and to where he wasn't even, uh, you know, there hadn't been that many superhero movies yet. I mean, X-Men had already been out back in 2000 and then he had worked on X-Men 2, but there weren't that many superhero films that actually existed. It's the first cues that I'm going to be discussing and like we'll be I'll be playing here on the show is uh, the main the first set is the main titles the cosmic storm meet the thing and superheroes now this is the first set that I want to play and to me these pieces significantly show us like an overall theme for the Fantastic Four it's really wonderful to hear these themes throughout and you can pick it up as you go through the score, like you, you get that, that uh, initial intro, that initial main title throughout the score. Like you get, you pick it up in different tracks and uh, it's just really neat. And one of the tracks that really stand out to me is that uh, the cosmic storm track. And it has like this orchestral chime and I looked that up and it's these, you know, really long pipe, like organ pipes um, okay. that you have in like a, a church or something like that. But uh, they use those and they, they like pound on them with these like, um, not plastic, but like these rubberized mallets that they, they hammer on uh, to create the sound. And uh, it, highlights like this tenseness in the scene and then you bring in those chorus singers and it really elevates that scene immensely because it's like wow that took a lot of effort to really get that whole like chorus to come in among that uh those chimes and really bring out that actual piece uh what do you think about it or just yeah. any of the those first sets well, well, yeah. This, this, the first, this set, those, all those ones you described. These, these are very dynamic pieces, and you know, I, I think there's definitely a, you know, a wave of of high action through through the music. Um, yeah, the 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 main theme itself is good but the the cosmic storm i i think is the probably the highlight of of the of the musical pieces that that it yeah it, it swells very high you can tell it's high action going on and yeah i i think it's it's my favorite of of all of the all of the pieces that, that you've selected oh yeah and i mean i i was just <laughs> it blew me away I really was amazed by the piece because you know, I, I listen to a lot of music and a lot of uh, scores. And um, when I think about like superhero music, um, I don't think of some of the modern superhero themes because there aren't a lot of themes that stand out to me. Uh, there's a few. And uh, if you listen to... Uh, cinematic sound radio 
through iTunes or uh, through his website, which is cinematicsound.net. Um, or I think it's sinsoundradio.net. Um, but he had specifically selected 10 superhero themes that were his favorite. And one of the pieces that he selects is from Ant-Man. And so um, that's one of those that actually stands out to me, that you can pick out an actual theme from instead of uh, some of these other modern superhero movies like Civil War or Winter Soldier. There's no like theme that really can stand out to you and you can start humming it or, you know, whistling it. And uh, that's, that's something that I've talked about several times on my show is that with some of the modern superhero movies, you don't get a real uh, thematic theme uh, to come in and you can remember uh, what that theme is. And I think that is sometimes something that they've lacked in bringing out because it would be gold. It would just be brilliant to have those themes carry through on some of the other movies. Like, you know, have Thor's theme come in when Thor's on screen in an Avengers movie or something, or have Iron Man theme come in when he's on screen with, say, Spider-Man, you know? Uh, It makes the film more... uh, connected if you have those themes connected as well so that's just you know that's kind of my thoughts but uh well yeah i mean i i must admit that that some you know there i don't know that it comes to my mind what some of the themes are for for some of the different marvel movies but you know if you say like the superman theme that immediately pops to mind yeah and and you had played um you had an, an interview recently and um, played the the CW DC um, DC television music, and I could definitely pick out. Okay, yeah, that was the Flash, that was Arrow, you know, and, and so on. That that those yeah. are themes that that definitely play throughout the the shows, and you know that that yeah, I I think that that is something that is lacking in the Marvel movies that, that I, I think if they, if they focused a bit more that, that would add, add even more to, to the movies. So I, I would definitely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now what we'll do is play main titles, the cosmic storm, meet the thing and superheroes.
So the next cues that I have are experiments, read and sue, uh, terrible news, and torch versus thing. Now, <laughs> these pieces show the things that can begin to go wrong with our family dynamic in the score, and sometimes even with those subtle strings and uh, the simple melodies that are created uh, can create that like conflict that is like underlying and you see that something's happening, something's gonna change and what's gonna go on. And, and it can imp impress on my mind the importance of music and how it plays into a movie. Uh, what do you think about like even this part of the film? Yeah, I mean, I, um, yeah, certainly it's, you know, probably more the middle of the film that, you know, you, you get, you get to see some of these dynamics where, um, I guess they're, they're in a sense showing their growing pains of, um, coming together as a group that, that they're learning about their powers and, you know, they're, they're not, not happy with how things are going and, yeah, I, I think a highlight for me is is the thing versus the human torch that, um, yeah, like, you know, I, I remember from the movie where, you know, that Johnny Storm insults the thing and then the thing crumples up Johnny's car and, you know, throws throws it as a ball back to him. So, yeah, and then, and then Johnny throws a fireball at the thing and then then they're gonna fight and sue has to keep them apart with force field yeah so so yeah that's you know that's definitely a, a piece where where the music comes in and you know he, that reflects their conflict in the music so so i enjoyed that piece definitely mm -hmm. yeah so so now we'll play those pieces of experiments read and sue terrible news and torch versus thing
So we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley. Um, it's been really nice to be able to talk with you, Bill, about uh, Fantastic Four and uh, Jack Kirby. And it's just nice this month, this whole month, I'm doing just Jack Kirby-themed podcasts uh, in regard to um, the special project that Phil Hester is working on for the Hero Initiative. Um, what are your overall thoughts uh, when we've really looked at these dynamics, what do you feel is the best thing for the movie of the Fantastic Four? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think the best thing is is seeing the characters on the screen. Um, I mean, I, I just come back to um, I, I like the the thing in the Human Torch the best and just just their dynamic that i mean i i would almost would have liked to have seen maybe a buddy movie of of chris evans and michael chiklis around that that era i i think that that would have been a lot of fun to see um you know that's that's my highlight of the movie yeah that's probably one of mine too because um it's interesting to see the uh the situation with Reed and Sue and kind of their like tension that they're dealing with and, and they're like yelling at each other. And then uh, like Reed has to explain to her, uh, you're invisible. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then she uh, suddenly appears, and she's like, ah, get me out of here. And uh, those dynamics are really, you know, unique. And you see their characters grow as they even go into the second movie of The Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I wish they would have done more with it, you know, like like bring in Mole Man or, you know, some other character uh, to have that conflict with. And uh, they didn't do it. But yeah. <laughs> it would have been nice because then they could have actually had that franchise. They would have had the same characters. But with Chris Evans going into being Captain America, that scrapped the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So... Let's- Go ahead. I, I was I was also going to note um, with with Chris Evans, it's kind of kind of interesting. Not only do we have him um, being Johnny Storm and Captain America, but he was also in uh, the Losers movie and the um, uh, now I'm blanking on on the other one, but the uh, Scott Pilgrim it, versus the World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I. I, I don't know if I've heard about what his comic book tastes are, but but it's he's definitely a, a comic book movie guy. So yeah. so I think that's that's amazing that that he kind of started here and and just has kept it going. Yeah, and um, I guess he's in for one last Captain America movie. Like it'll be Captain America four, and then he's done. Okay, uh, he's done with doing the whole Captain America thing. And I'm thinking that they may be killing him off and handing the reins over to someone else being Captain America. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it all develops in the the cinema. <laughs> so the last cues that I'd really like to play are, this is kind of quite a set because some of them are really like short cues, uh, only like about a minute or one of them is only 30 seconds long. Um, so I've got The Vengeance of Von Doom. Now this is the alternate one. And then I've got Labrat, Battling Doom Part 1, Battling Doom Part 2, and Fantastic Proposal, and then Bon Voyage Doom. Now I think these cues really capture the essence of that final battle that the whole Fantastic Four are going up against Doctor Doom and uh, the electric energy that he's spreading across this large city block and um i think john ottman really brings that emotion and excitement to the hero genre that we hadn't seen beforehand uh because of of course like michael Kamen did the first x-men movie and then we've got john ottman taking over for those uh let's see for that that series series yeah i was trying to think of something else and i'm like well my mind blanked on that so i gotta think (laughs) of something else but uh he really set that pace for the superhero movies of this early time that we were seeing superhero movies come out and um it was exciting for even that period of time back in 05 that we were getting superhero movies and they weren't really part of you know anything bigger And now with so many cinematic movies with Marvel, uh, it's really impressive that they can bring in those things and maybe 
who knows? Marvel might get the rights to get the Fantastic Four back because obviously Sony or Fox isn't doing very well with keeping that property going. Um, but thus the, the themes are preserved and the Fantastic Four really show that there's like an essence for those themes in film. And so, uh, Bill, uh, where can people follow you? Um, I, I, yeah, actually, I am um, don't have a lot of uh, internet presence. Um, oh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, def- definitely on, on Facebook, Bill Schmidt. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by day and um, comic book fan by night. Oh, okay. And, you know, don't, don't really um, do much beyond that. But, yeah, that's perfectly um, all right. So, um, but it's it's always nice to uh, hear your thoughts, even like when you were on with the worst comic podcast ever, and Jerry McMullen had interviewed you regarding the uh, legality of uh, the things regarding comic books, and I thought that was really an interesting episode. So, oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I um, I've been um, trying to do different local comic book conventions in Kansas city. And, um, yeah, I've, I've done different, uh, appearances with the worst comic podcast ever guys. They're, mm-hmm. they're pretty great and they're, they're getting to be good friends of mine. So yeah, I, I really enjoy them. Yeah. And so, um, well, you can follow me on Facebook as Randall Andrews. And then on Twitter, I'm at, at Randall Andrews one. Um, Uh, follow me on my blog which is soundtrackalley.net and that's where I post most of my stuff for any of my podcast stuff and uh, any additional information that I leave on there Um, soundtrackalley.podbean.com and then also you can email me at soundtrackalley at yahoo.com and so all this month uh, being the Jack Kirby month uh, at the beginning of the month I posted uh a specific uh, post regarding uh, links to Jack Kirby's, uh, well, (laughs) to Phil Hester's uh, Jack Kirby fundraiser uh, through the Hero Initiative. There's a link to the Hero Initiative. There's a link to Omaha Bound, uh, which are, they are putting on the whole uh, Jack Kirby 100s for Phil Hester. And that'll be right in Omaha, uh, Nebraska. And that'll be to where people can be able to go online and bid on sketches being done or a sketch that they want done. And it'll be really exciting to see how that develops. And um, it'll be fun to have Phil Hester in Omaha once again. (laughs) So, yeah. And so without further delay, Let's go ahead and play these last cues and that there's a whole list of them. So I'm not going to relist them, but uh, thanks again, Bill, for being on the show and happy listening.
thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review me my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.